this morning we reach uh, a poignant moment in the Sermon on the Mount where I, I would suggest that it may be one of the most challenging portions in all of Holy Scripture, where Jesus comes face to face with anger, with lust, with the way we use our words, with our desire to retaliate, and with our hatred for our enemies. And in each of these moments over the next five weeks, we're going to discover that over and over again, Jesus comes to us in the deepest and darkest of human places because he wants to make us whole again. In order to do so, he can't avoid the depths of the human soul. He's got to deal with the most intense and most complex areas of human life. And this morning, he begins with anger. Now, anger is one of those emotions, I don't know about you, but for me, I, I, I look at it and it's really confusing. <laughs> it's hard to, to navigate all the dynamics and, and facets of anger. And especially in a moment like this, when there is so much anger in the world right now. I mean, anger over injustice, anger over different responses to politicians and pastors and ways people have handled the pandemic, anger to the general lack of control that we all feel and the lack of consistency that we all feel in a season that feels unpredictable. Anger I've seen spill over between friends and family and fellow believers for differences that have risen to the surface that they never knew were there. And while the, the experience of anger seems to be common, it just seems to be a common part of our universal human condition in a world touched by the brokenness that sin brings. The way in which we express that common experience so often takes different forms, many faces and many masks. Some of us, on one hand, get louder, we get more aggressive, and then there are others of us who withdraw and weep. And while the expressions of anger, in a sense, are things that we find we're able to name from time to time, I find that the complexities of the inner experience of anger is really difficult to even talk about. When I look at the anger in my own soul, I go, I don't even completely understand all that's going on there all the time. Why am I angry? What are, the, what are the emotions underneath this emotion? What am I trying to achieve with this anger? Uh, what does it say about me as a person? Who am I and who am I becoming? Who do I see myself as in relation to other people? See, all these questions arise when we start trying to press in a little bit into the experience of anger in our own lives. And this morning, Jesus speaks to us directly where we are at. Like a skilled surgeon, he identifies the disease. He explains some of its inner dynamic, not all of it. And then he seeks to cut away the cancer that corrodes our relationships and poisons our communities. He says it like this, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people of old. He's now referencing the sixth commandment in the Old Testament. You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to death. And then Jesus goes on, verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raha, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, at one level, Jesus' point is fairly straightforward. He's saying that if murder is a horrible crime, and it is, 
then I am saying to you that anger and insult, verbal insult, are horrible crimes too. Now, pause for a moment there. <laughs> That's a really simple point, but just imagine how our culture and politics and conversations would change if we really took Jesus seriously at this point. Anger and verbal insult are horrible in Jesus' eyes, as is murder. See, according to Jesus, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, has a much deeper intention than many of us often realize. It was intended not only to deal with the act or the deed of murder itself, but with everything that is underneath that act and deed, everything that leads up to it and that in, is involved in it. And so here Jesus is thinking of thoughts and words, of internal intentions and deep desires, of the emotions that lie underneath the emotion. If you think about the ways that anger expresses it in itself in our lives, we have this different ways of expressing it. It could be loud mouth hostility towards others and insults, or it could be withdrawal and weeping. There's that expression. And then there's the experience of anger that's underneath it. But then underneath that experience of anger is a whole lot of inner dynamics. I mean, when I look at my own life, in that, that lower level of inner dynamics often involves some convoluted combination of fear or pain or insecurity. Like I fear what the future holds, so I'm angry about my present circumstances or my lack of control over what's going to happen. I'm hurt by what that person said to me, so I lash out to protect myself in anger, to defend myself, and I just end up responding to wounds by causing more wounds. I feel insecure maybe, or vulnerable, or uncertain of who I am, so I use my anger in an effort to appear strong, or to hide my weakness, to control my environment, to get what I want, and to get those out of the way who stand in the way of what I want. See, Jesus knows the inner dynamics of the human heart. And that's, I think, in part why he says right before this passage that he came to bring a righteousness, he says, that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Because the scribes and the Pharisees know the sixth commandment, and they seek to follow it. But Jesus is saying to them, I am taking you deeper. I am taking you underneath into everything that surrounds obeying the sixth commandment. And it's not just outer conformity of action alone. It includes all the inner motivations of the heart. And so as we take a closer look at Jesus' words, we realize that there is a certain depth and dynamic to what Jesus is saying here. Two, two ways we see this. The first is that Jesus is speaking of a very specific type or form of anger. Now, there's a number of words for anger in the New Testament. There's some four or five of them, but two of the most common ones are thumos and orge. Now, thumos anger is, is the best example is like lighting a match. It, it's like uh, the flame quickly blazes up and then just as quickly it dies down. We experience it as quick-tempered or easy to rage. Now, that's thumos anger. But orge anger, on the other hand, describes a sort of anger that has become more settled and deeply rooted, or as some of the ancients would call it, has become a habitual form of anger in our hearts. 
Now, this doesn't mean that orge anger is necessarily or inherently sinful. In the New Testament, we find righteous versions of orge anger, and we find unrighteous versions of it as well. A righteous example comes, for example, in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, where Jesus goes to heal a man who has a shriveled hand, and the Pharisees express deep concern that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. And Mark tells us that Jesus looked around at the Pharisees in anger, the word is orge, and deeply distressed was he at their stubborn hearts. And then he looks to the man and he says, stretch out your hand. That's righteous anger that Jesus is expressing. On the other hand, Paul can say that there are unrighteous forms of this orge anger. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage, that's the thumos word, and then get rid of all anger, the orge word, brawling and slander, get rid of it, along with every form of malice. And so it seems that with the word that Jesus is using here, which has orge at its root, is a type of anger which doesn't have to be symbol, sinful, it can be a righteous anger, but it seems that given our human condition, as Paul says, it really easily moves into the place of unrighteous anger. And it seems that it moves into that place when it takes on the form of personal animosity towards another person. That seems to be what Jesus is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount. He is addressing anger as a settled inner disposition that leads to personal animosity or hostility or revenge. And that leads us to our second point, is that Jesus hints at the way in which this personal animosity or this anger can compound over time and gain momentum and intensity. Like he, he, he wants to show us in the way he teaches us about it that anger begets more anger. So we need to be careful and deal with it quickly. As one author put it, when you deposit anger into a savings account, you collect compound interest very quickly. And we see this in the way that Jesus outlines a certain sort of gradation or trajectory of anger. And then you can note that there's a corresponding gradation of consequences. So in verse 22, Jesus begins by naming the experience of deep-rooted anger. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, says Jesus. This seems to be the realm of emotion and thought and intention. That's phase one. And then phase two, Jesus moves into the realm of verbal contempt. Anger, that emotion, now expressed in words. Jesus says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raha. Now, the word here it is like an ancient form of an insult. And it's an insult in particular that is directed towards a person's intellect or their particular views. And in the ancient world, this word, it meant not so much just um, challenging someone's views, but it meant holding their views with contempt. Like, I can't believe a person believes that. How can any rational person think that way? I, if they only knew what I knew, they would understand. So Jesus moves from the inner emotion of anger as a settled disposition. He then moves on to the verbal. And then in phase three, he moves into the realm of personal disdain and ridicule. Anger expressed as labeling of other people. 
He says, anyone who says, you fool. Notice here, this insult in the ancient world was directed not simply at a person's intellect, but towards a person's character and name and reputation. So Jesus is showing us a, a slippery slope here, a gradation of anger, where it begins with this settled inner disposition of personal animosity. And then it starts to express itself with verbal insults that, that are full of contempt towards another person's views of the world. And then it leads to this point where eventually we are just labeling that person. We are defining and defaming their personal identity out of our own anger. And often this labeling has the intention of being able to dismiss them. And according to Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, to express anger in this way is to be liable to judgment, just as if we committed the deed of murder. See, the human heart is a slippery thing. Just a little bit of unchecked anger gathers great momentum. One moment we find ourselves nurturing just a little bit of hostility. And the next moment we realize that we're nurturing irritation and exasperation and bitterness and resentment. And the next moment we find ourselves speaking about others in the privacy of our own home, discussing their views with utter contempt. And before long, we find ourselves insulting them publicly or virtually. And then we find ourselves dehumanizing them with labels. And then we find ourselves dismissing them as unworthy of our time and energy. You see, in just two short sentences, Jesus, the master preacher, Jesus, the master heart surgeon, has managed to expose the dynamics of anger which undergird and animates so much of our human society. And the church is included. In recent weeks, I've been reading a book by a guy named Justin Early, Early, called The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose in an Age of Distraction. And in that book, he talks about the way in which we wake up in the morning and instinct instinctually check our phones. And it's something that we just, uh, not everybody does this, but a lot of people, especially in my generation, wake up in the morning, you grab your phone, you turn it on. And, and he asked the question, how is this morning habit of waking up and reaching for the phone forming us? Who are we becoming as we do this? And he said, this, this, there's a number of ways in which it forms us. He said, if we are prone to check our email on our phone right away, then we are being formed by liturgies of stress and anxiety. He says, if we are prone to check social media right away on our phones, then we're being formed by liturgies of envy and desire. And if we're prone to check our news feeds, what's the latest news? We're often being formed by liturgies of fear and anger. I mean, this is something that I've had to check in my own heart. I've had to take fasting from news feeds seriously in the season because so many of the news feeds are just charged with playing on our emotions of fear and anger. So let me suggest a little spiritual exercise that Justin himself uh, kind of um, recommends for those that find themselves in this place. He says a really simple spiritual exercise is just commit to the principle scripture before phone every morning. Before you open up your phone and check something, you commit to getting on your knees and just reading a portion of scripture. 
And so I started doing this with Psalm 139 because I realized that so often the anger or the anxiety or the fear in my life was connected to this sense of insecurity and vulnerability in the season that we are in. And so go to Psalm 139 in the morning before you check your phone and you will learn that I am known, I am cared for, I am protected, I am secure in the hands of God. And then maybe if you are praying through that Psalm, when you get to verses 23 and 24, which I read at the very beginning of this service, search me, O God, know my heart, see if there be any anxious thoughts in me. Maybe you could replace that phrase anxious thoughts with angry feelings if you're feeling angry. Search me, O God, know my heart, see if there be any angry feelings settling into my heart. Test me, lead me into the way everlasting. See, as Jesus reveals the inner dynamics of anger in our lives, we need to also let Jesus do the healing work that only he can do with it. Because there's always a temptation when we come face to face with like the ugliness of our own hearts to bury what we see and try to move on without the hard work of working through our own anger or simply to shift blame to our circumstances or to somebody else because we don't have to deal with what's going on really inside. And Jesus knows this about us. So in the rest of the passage in Matthew chapter 5, he gives us one really simple piece of advice. He says, act quickly. (laughs) Don't hesitate. Anger must be dealt with quickly, immediately, in a hurry, and very early, or its consequences will be grave and unyielding, Jesus says. And Jesus gives two examples, two kind of illustrations, parabolic illustrations, in order to drive this one simple point home. One comes in the context of worship. One comes in the context of a legal dispute. One comes in the context of a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ. And one comes in the context of a relationship with an enemy or an accuser. And interestingly, in both examples, Jesus tells the story from the perspective of someone who has been wronged by another person, Um, someone who has wronged another person, sorry, and therefore stands rightfully accused by them. And Jesus says this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Notice the perspective switch in Jesus' teaching here. At first, he was talking about dealing with our own anger. And here, now, somebody is angry against you for good reason. And he's saying, you need to deal with that as well. And then he goes on. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus' point is this. Dealing with anger should be our first priority, and we should do it really quickly, because if we don't check it early, the consequences are grave. He says it's even worth interrupting worship in order to make amends with somebody. (laughs) That's how important it is. I once had a friend in Canada who, she took this teaching really seriously. 
um, she she felt if she felt like there was any unresolved anger in her life or any kind of resentment or bitterness that had not been addressed with with a person in her church specifically whenever it was a time for passing of the peace in the middle of the liturgy right before the eucharist she would go find whoever it was in the church take them to the back of the church and and address whatever it, it needed to be that needed to be addressed um, with that person because she did not feel right going and receiving the bread and the wine the body and blood of jesus the sacrament of unity if she was not right with a brother and sister. And I remember being astonished by that. Je that's what Jesus is saying, though. He's saying we need to deal with this anger at the beginning. Go first and be reconciled to your brother and sister. Then come and worship. Settle matters quickly, says Jesus. Now, I know there's probably lots of questions about how this looks and how this unfolds. And, and, and I don't think what Jesus is saying is that, that necessarily, I don't think he necessarily means to say that, that reconciliation is going to come quickly if we do this, or that it won't involve a really painful and often messy process of, of repentance and restoration and maybe counseling and, and waves of, of forgiveness and healing. But what he does put the focus on is that our own personal agency in any given situation and relationship needs to be taken seriously. Like we can't just wait for the circumstances to change or for the other party to apologize, even though, even though both those things have their place. We have to take the initiative ourselves to deal with our own anger. Or if someone is angry against us, to go to them and say, how have I wronged you? How can I help you deal with the anger that you may rightfully feel against me? Now, there's lots of pastoral questions that remain unanswered by Jesus' teaching. <laughs> I don't think he was trying to say everything. Like, what do you do when it feels too late? Anger has already turned into personal animosity and resentment and bitterness in your own soul, and you, you feel trapped by it. You don't know how to get out of it, how to deal with it. What if your effort? Efforts to reconcile with another person are not well received. They actually backfire on, on you, and there's no reciprocity in the desire to be for amends. How do you learn to kind of see when your anger is moving from a place of righteous indignation? The world's not supposed to be this way. That's unjust. That's wrong. To personal animosity towards another person. How, how, do, you, how do you learn to identify that and then break that cycle of anger? There's tons of pastoral questions that come out of this, and I'd love to discuss them after the service with you. But one of the things I can't help but wonder with you this morning is like, what does this look like for us as the Church of Jesus Christ in America in this season to take Jesus' teaching on anger really seriously? Because, I mean, there's so much anger going on in our world, but if we're honest with ourselves, like the church has been no less involved with the expressing of unrighteous anger in this season than anyone else. I mean, it's kind of astonishing sometimes to see the insults that have been dished out by the church to any number of public officials. Those who are crying out, to be heard and cared for, and even towards one another just because of holding opposing views. 
And I don't know about you, but after a passage like this, my heart feels so exposed before Jesus. And that's why I'm so thankful that Jesus comes to anger at this point in the sermon. Only after he has said to us earlier, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember I said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts with those wonderful words as the gateway to his sermon. And after we read any individual section of his sermon, we should always go back to those beginning words because they remind us that Jesus did not come to save those who are righteous, but sinners. He did not come to save those who think they have all the answers, who think they have it together, who think they have what it takes to live the kingdom life. He came for those who are poor in spirit. They know they don't have what it takes and they admit it. Blessed, blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus. So, my dear brothers and sisters, are we going to be a people? Are we going to be a church who's willing to acknowledge our anger honestly, to deal with it quickly? Are we going to be a church where we are going to be willing to name the fact that we have nurtured feelings and words and attitudes and actions of anger toward each other and toward the world at times um, that don't match up with who God has made us to be as the light of the world and the salt of the earth and a city set in the hill. Because I wonder if in this season, one of the ways in which we can be a light to the world most poignantly is by dealing with our anger with Jesus, allowing him to heal us, allowing him to give us a redemptive voice in the world and a redemptive presence and a redemptive posture. And so my brothers and sisters, I speak these words of Jesus to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.